Welcome to Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. Hey, nerds. <laughs> oh, you're so, so cool in the basement, aren't you? Yeah, you should see the studio I've been building down here, Meredith, and everybody, I, I guess. <laughs> I'd love to. I would love to see you face-to-face again. Some. Yeah, right. Before we actually start, when do you think that'll happen? Uh, human beings can see each other face-to-face. Yeah. Uh, so I, I read an article not that long ago that broke down the writer's opinion, uh, which seemed informed. And they basically said, um, spring kind of meh summer. It should be the kind the case that like small, you know, 10, 20 person barbecues and outdoor things of people who are vaccinated seems pretty like safe and reasonable. And then winter, probably it comes back a little bit. You yeah, because that's just the nature of viruses. Um, and uh, then maybe next year, you know, but it, COVID's not going away ever. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, it's just it, new- was it, what do you think about, uh, okay, really, before we start, what, mm-hmm. what do you think the vaccine schedule is going to be like? I mean, <laughs> state to state, right? Like, and country to country. Uh, do you think? Europe's really fucking up. Like we, yeah. That's what I heard that that's it's yeah. it's particularly bad. I'm, well, no, I think I'm coming back. Well, uh, they just made in Oregon. <laughs> I think like yesterday they just l- lowered the bar now, so everybody seventy plus can get a vaccine. Okay. And I think that's how they're going to do. It. Like now that they've taken care of educators and like people in care facilities and a few other like special categories. I think that it's just like the age limit goes down, you know, until it's basically everybody. And that'll probably be like end of March or something like that. You think it'll be that soon? I was figuring like, mm. I kind of have May on my mind. I'm in a, I'm on a roll with it schedule knowing, okay, now's not the time why I'm not going to bother looking into it. I'm just going to stay home. Yeah. Kind of me too. I mean, like everybody, like at this point, I'm so conditioned that, I'd be weird to be around humans anyway. <laughs> Meredith, you'd enjoy this. I have a little dog that is uh, currently vigorously humping a pillow next to me. Okay, on that note. This is Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. I'm here with the Epoxies. I'm here with FM Static and Roxy Epoxy today. Good. I don't know what time it is, everybody. Yeah, good, I know. Uh, good international. What is it? Uh, like eight o'clock GMT or something? Six. Six. That wasn't just such a bad guess, was it? Close. Good morning, everybody. I just woke up. I'm still uh, blowing my nose for the next half hour. That's how that works. <laughs> That's a mine, and so did I. <laughs> Although I'm three hours ahead of him, so. Good job, Jesse. It's noon here. Yeah. <laughs> we win. I guess I guess with that we 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 were discussing earlier the thing where people would tell us when we were when we turned 35 
Jesse that suddenly we'd start waking up early. And then yeah. I was saying that never happened to me, but that happened to both Chelsea and Tony. And um, so, yeah, maybe it'll happen when we turn 50. Oh, hello, buddy. Yeah, check him out. This is Ollie. Hi, operator. Mm -hmm. He's done with his business. He's taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it goes on all day. Uh, well, you know. He's got a lot of energy, this one. Young, dumb, and full of comedy. surrounded by dogs all of a sudden. Is Verena... We... Thanks for the introduction to the show, Tony. Let's veer off in another direction for you. Yeah, how's it going so far? <laughs> you want to hear about my? You want to hear about my wife, the animal trainer? Is that, is that what she's doing now? Yeah, okay. she's full-time. I, I, I disappeared from Facebook, so I have, I have, you know, I was cut off from watching what everyone announces they're doing yeah but. so how do you feel much better since oh yeah without facebook uh yeah i'm i'm actually questioning why i'm back i've decided that i will make random posts and look at nothing else of what everyone else is doing mm. because i am one that really kind of messes with my head and i only stay on it because i'm connected to some people there and that's the only way i'm connected I noticed the like aspirational living my best life posts have really fallen off this year. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. There's not a lot of like, Hey, we're on a yacht, you know, like I'm not seeing that so much. I didn't talk to my fruits and vegetables today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a point toward me. The power went out at our house the other day. Um, when we were supposed to do this interview. And so we cleaned our entire kitchen. It was very impressive, actually. My power didn't go out and I did that. See, I got lucky it too. Begins. It seems like, it seems crazy. What would you do without the internet? Like I'd start eating people or something. That might be, that's okay. I mean, the, the COVID's taking care of a lot of them, but you know, some of them <laughs> were surviving and really There's deserved to not be around any there's definitely too many of us tony <laughs> do what you gotta do <laughs> oh yeah you guys are safe because i'm in europe mm -hmm. <laughs> so where are you guys uh so i'm still here in portland where uh you know where it all happened born and bred i don't see myself going anywhere although lately you'd ask me like uh three months ago I was thinking pretty hard about getting out, but things are a little better now really? in the USA. Yeah, well, go on. You know, when there was still a pretty reasonable fear of a of a coup, I was thinking like America might not be all that great for too much longer. Yeah, you, you do have the connection. That's right. I actually wondered why you didn't just go to Germany in the first place. Sometime. Yeah, you know, mom, basically. Yeah, I got, I got silly, silly comments, actually. No, but I mean, like, it's not like I haven't thought about it. That you know, the other reason, customer service. <laughs> <laughs> if I go into a store and I want to know where something is, I don't want them being all mad at me. <laughs> How good's your German? Uh, it's I can get along. It's okay. it's fine, but it certainly you know, not the standard you'd want if you lived in a place. Um, yeah. I can follow a conversation. I can make the occasional witty comment. 
but it's definitely like, oh, the foreigner has such a funny accent and, you know, and constantly gets things wrong and I can get lost if things get too intense. Well, with Germans, the customer service, the bad customer service drops by 50% if you don't speak it. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's true that, you know, everybody in Germany loves to speak English. So if you give them the chance to do that, it, it, it does help. Uh, I'm sorry, my English is so, how you say, inelegant. Like, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> I always appreciated that one. <laughs> All, all I can say is, yeah, and uh, Danka, you're, you're doing good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the boots on. Well, I, I am in Providence, Rhode Island. I left Portland about four and a half years ago. Um, it was kind of, to it, well, it was definitely officially to go back to school in Massachusetts Combined with that, I could live with my parents while going back to school in Massachusetts. Moving back in with your parents when you're in your 40s really neat. Um, <laughs> but also, as we all know, Portland was changing. It, it really felt good in a while. And um, so I came back to the homeland, my homeland of uh, New England. So I'm, I'm a mass hole which is someone from Massachusetts, but now live in Providence. So I, I am not where it all happens anymore. And I, I definitely miss it at times, but the times I've returned, the, the city is gone. The people are well, somewhat still there. Somewhat. <laughs> yeah. With COVID, uh, as far as like, Speaking of scenes and vibes and stuff like that, who knows what we're going to have when it starts back up? You know, uh, I just found out yesterday that Twilight finally went under. Um, so, oh, that stinks. Yeah, because they held on so long, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious to see if, like, I don't, I believe in rock and roll, you know, like it's back is not going to be broken by this, but it's going to be a, a reset, you know? And so what do people do? Like, do you just keep going in your old band that you were in two years ago? Or do you say, screw it, let's just start a new band with some other people. Do we, you know, like it'll be new venues. It'll be new scenes. It'll be people dropping out because they discovered they love gardening this, you know, in this last year and a half. Or yeah. it'll be people coming in because they've been practicing guitar by themselves for the last year and a half, you know? So I, I think, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what happens. I'm curious to see where I fit into it too. Like, how am I going to engage with all that? I don't know. What are the rents doing? I think they're more or less staying steady. Okay. Uh, Cause, maybe cause I keep envisioning, and this is back in the nineties when mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue. Remember 17 nautical miles and places like that opening an old laundromats and we're just random venues for six Yeah. I, I mean, I want to picture that, but then I also, the reality is, is that was because the rents were so cheap. Well, a lot of like businessy places have gone out of business, obviously. True. Um, and whereas there's a lot of rent protections in place to keep people from getting kicked out of their houses, a lot of businesses don't have those protections. And so they've been foreclosed on. But I think at the same time, landlords are like, yeah, what, 
I don't want to foreclose on a bunch of businesses in my strip mall or whatever, because who's going to move in? Nobody. Um, it, How about I, a mini little punk rock club in a London? Yeah, club? right. It remains to be seen if like <laughs> things come roaring back or what. Well, that's really what totally changed Portland because what made Portland great was because people could take risks mm-hmm. and you could do things because it was cheap. And yeah, you, exactly. If you and, could get by on twenty hours at a coffee shop and your you know your rent was one hundred and fifty bucks or whatever. You definitely could take some chances. In that house we moved into behind Fantasy Adult. That's why I was thinking of it, actually. I think our whole rent was six fifty for the four of us. Yep. One of those huge houses behind the Fantasy Adult video that was next to Desks, Inc. was the first house we all moved into mm-hmm. when Jesse Kimball, my ex, and I first moved out there. It was my huge. Be- my bedroom was about 10 feet away from the table saws that they would start up in the building next door at like seven in the morning. Oh my goodness. And, and yeah, I, I also lived right up a hospital and pretty much behind, what's it called? Mount Tabor theater. It mm-hmm. was college for a while. Oh, I'm forgetting yeah. the name, but that apartment was a two story, two bedroom, 480 a month. But and that was 95. Mm-hmm. So. And the, yeah, but that's what, that's what made Portland so great and made so many people move there because people could that was amazing. People be creative and do what they love. I think one like not like underappreciated aspect of that too is that the Portland housing stock had basements. You yeah. know, like it, it really makes a difference if you can practice with your band or throw a show or something without making your neighbors too mad. You know, <laughs> like yeah. And basements really make that happen in a way that like you couldn't do in Phoenix or something like that, where everything is ground level. Yeah. Or that's, yeah. Or places like San Francisco or New York where mm-hmm. everything's apartments and tiny. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. There's definitely been some nostalgia popping up for me recently. <laughs> you, you've been in, in affordability just thinking, wow, that was, when you're when you're young and you're in the middle of it, maybe some people are really well developed in uh, mindfulness at that time. I certainly wasn't, but just going, "Wow, this right now is really awesome," instead of however many years later, going, "Wow, that right then was really awesome." Yeah, it, I don't think that I had the perspective of like you know I knew that I, I was like pretty stoked on how things were going in my life or whatever, but. Uh, I didn't have the perspective to go like, oh, this is a special moment that, you know, it, it's, I wonder like if I'm 20 right now, like probably it feels a, pretty similar, even if it's not the same, you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with where you are in life. And I think it's easy from where we are to reflect on like, uh, the way things used to be and how it's not that great anymore because, you know, look, we're, you know, it's not that great anymore for us in some ways. Um, but, you know, but right now there's there's kids doing something super awesome that we can't even understand. Like and, getting COVID when they get together. I mean, but maybe they're not getting, maybe it's, it's all in some sort of virtual space or whatever. And for them, it's like incredible and life-changing and this like 
super precious time that defines who they're going to be going forward the way punk rock, you know, was for us, you know, and like that just, it, we don't have the context to understand it. And it's not meaningful to us because we're, you know, cause we're just not a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just try not to be too cynical about like how things were great and now they aren't. And I, you know, yeah, like if, if we weren't in COVID, I would have made this all about like some cool new music scene that I don't care for. But maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not even a music scene. It's some other kind of thing that's going on that's amazing. Maybe it's all Oculus meetups. Yeah, maybe I mean, totally. Just hanging out on, on, on in virtual reality, doing exactly what we're talking about. I don't think that's crazy at all. Honestly, I think that that's, you know, maybe the technology's not quite there to make that quite as vivid an experience as it will be. But that kind of thing, you know, is probably going to be pretty powerful. I just bought one, so it's fresh on my mind. Really? Yeah, you know, I'm saving for a, <laughs> like a, a, an amazing VR system. We've been talking about it for like six years here at the house. <laughs> so just kind of waiting for the convergence of the technology is good enough and, the you know, we have enough money. <laughs> I bought it for exercise. <laughs> uh-huh. How's that going? That's what old people do. Really good, actually. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Tony, is this what you expected? We're going to talk about exercise. I mean, you give us an hour and a half. How much are we going to talk about oh. with the stage four? <laughs> but we should, but it, what you were saying is true. Like when I first got into punk, me and my friends, all the older punks hated us. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're not quite old enough to be like, oh my God, you know. But we are. We are. We could be that way. I mean, I just got two new neighbors. No, no, no. My, I guess my point is, like, we're not old enough to have that, like, 77 cred, you know, where we can sit around, like, shitting on, on bands from the <laughs> 80s because they weren't, you know, we saw the weirdos at their first show or whatever. That's true. But uh, having been, you know, coming of age in, in at least the mid to late 80s, it certainly doesn't have that same cred, but it... Growing up pre-Nirvana, Green Day, busting it wide open, there's still there's younger people probably don't realize it, but there's definitely a before and after. Still. What, so what? What were those good local yeah, bands when for you sure. started? Oh. Uh, there's a kind of good local bands when I start. Gosh. Uh, what was what was happening in the scene at that time? Excuse me a moment. Oh, then <laughs> you go, it's, Meredith. Yeah, you go. Um, let's see. And Boston was, was like, much Portland. I was even an outsider to the outsider scene, so so I will fully admit that. I, like I said, when I brought up the example of first moving to Portland and being in the back of the Egyptian room, not talking to anyone because I was so paralyzed by my shyness. Uh, that, that was certainly going on when I, I was coming of age, but it, it is Boston. So it was a lot of super Boston macho hardcore stuff. But I mean, I remember being 16 and toxic narcotic had just started and I would be in Bill's basement watching them, them practice. And, and as I didn't really listen to them going on and, and revisiting, oh, what are those guys up to? Oh, they got really big. Um, 
wrote it. Popsicle Records did pretty well. A couple, Jesse knows them, a couple of my best friends here, Jamie and Jenny, were involved in a in bands called The Sleazy and the Midnight Creeps, who were ended up being on those labels. So it, it kind of started this timeline and moving on, but it 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 had moved over to, to hardcore at that point, but just knowing some of the Boston bands that were around in the late 70s, of course, knowing that I was five and never could have made those shows and, and, and knowing the bands that I, I, I missed, it's just kind of heartbreaking. The, the fact that, gee, LaPest was playing 40 minutes away from me, but I didn't care. I was still trotting around. So that's pretty much was go- what was going on. Um, kind of mostly hardcore stuff that I, I I appreciated, but as I got exposed to more, I appreciated it a lot less. I remember just constantly being when I was around others, we were, we were constantly listening to that Operation Ivy album. Kugazi had just started up, so we would hear that a lot. But those, that wasn't the local scene. Yeah, for me, I feel like I first started getting into like punk rock stuff, maybe for like freshman in high school, I guess, uh, which is right about when I started to learn to play guitar the second time. Like I took some lessons when I was uh-huh. in like sixth grade and like learned some chords and then kind of put it down. But then I went back, I went to high school and I met a guy who played guitar and you know he was like inspired me to be interested in in bands and stuff like that and i got like a lot of i guess you might call it more mainstream punk rock stuff mainstream at the time so that'd be like sex pistols dead kennedys um like circle jerks uh seven seconds i remember i got like sort of these records they're already kind of like bigger national acts right and i didn't get all that plugged into local music, um, except that with like nerd friends of mine at high school, I you know we started a band, right? And that Stomp Chicken. The name of it, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stomp Chicken. Stomp Chicken, and we would just you know like like you do when you're 16 and trying to play shows and kind of ill-defined a little bit genre-wise, but yeah, I mean like pretty much a punk band. Um, we would just like play our friend's art opening or uh, you rem- does anybody remember the Audio Addict, a record store yeah. that exists? Yeah. So like, remember they did basement shows there, yeah. which was probably the most like fire code violating show <laughs> scenario I've seen to this day, you know, where everybody like piles down a single spooky yeah. staircase into a concrete pit. Um, yeah. Next to Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like near the Galleria, right? Yeah, across the yeah. street. Uh huh. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Uh, so we played with Aspirin Feast. Like, oh yeah, yeah, right. So that was like that might have been the first like sort of show show that I ever like played, and like that was like my first like kind of local show where there were a bunch of punk rockers that I had never met before, and um. You know, there's a flyer and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So kind of did that for a while. Then I went off to college. Um, and I think really it was after I did like two years of college and I came back home that I started to like connect with the local scene in a more sort of like 
I know people and I know what's going on. I'm going and seeing all the bands and stuff like that kind of way. Um, you know, Dead Moon is you got to like have always been a presence and have always been like a huge influence. They sort of have this godlike status in Portland as not being really a punk band, but being the band. Yeah. You know, they're the band that everybody looks up to. And the longer I'm around and the more I sort they're of the appreciate. Roots. Yeah. Those, like, are the roots. those guys. It's they certainly influenced and inspired a huge number of people, but even more than that, they just embody a particular like approach and way of doing things and spirit that is so like grounded and, and just so obviously right on, you know, so un untinged by any kind of like worry about what other people think or, uh, striving for any kind of particular success, except as they define it, that it just, it always stays fresh. And it seems like every band that comes here, anybody who comes up as a musician here, eventually kind of comes to terms with dead moon and goes like, Oh, I get it. They're amazing. You know, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, there's some early dead moon shows where I was like, Oh, now I must reconsider everything. <laughs> Cause I've never seen anything this earnest before. And I think that's how people feel about a lot of bands in their own, like local scenes. There's always that one band that's like, like neurosis, I think does this for people in the East Bay of just being yeah. like so profoundly heartfelt and intense, you know, Fugazi and Minor Threat do that for people in, in like the DC area, just like not giving a fuck, total and yet totally caring, you know. <laughs> yeah. So Jesse, you mentioned going to college to two, for two years. What was so special about that? Um, well, I met a, a nerdy weirdo named Meredith, who. Um, <laughs> Oh, now I get where it's going. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who eventually moved out to Portland. Um, what actually, what, so what really happened is that I, uh, I also met uh, Jesse Kimball, who, um, and Meredith and I and Jesse and somebody else who I can't even remember right now, uh, started a band. Mark. Mark, that's right. Who's the drummer, right? Yep. Uh, started a band called rainbow bright in the assholes um that played three songs once is that right yep. <laughs> yeah we played halloween one show we played a halloween show in like the quad we played three songs uh boston? So, no no like at this at our college yeah but where, where did you go Am- oh Am- yeah uh, uh amherst massachusetts okay but not, but not really you know like outside of so it was so it, it's in it, but there's a lot of nothing in it. Yeah, it's like with a lot of sheep between you and the first store, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, so yeah, I was there for a couple of years. I gave up on college. Uh, Meredith and Jesse finished out, and then Jesse moved out here. We started a band called The Automatics. Um, Meredith came out the next year, I want to say. Uh, after, I after moved out the year. I took a year off. I lived there one year, and then went back to finish because I. That would be really lame if I had one year left and didn't, and then moved back in it, it May 1996. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Automatics ran their course, and then uh, we started the epoxies. Well, do we want to st- um, mention mention the, the the revenge band story? Oh yeah, by all means, go right ahead. I'll just finish. <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> the, this this is in 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 humor, but it is also true. 
it, it's just kind of the the timing of events and what happened are pretty funny in 20, 21 years later. They're funny. <laughs> so um, the automatics was this Jesse, Jesse Kimball and Ryan. And um, hey, we have a new record coming out, by the way. You do? Well, it's a it's a. 20 Golden Greats is coming out on vinyl. In, oh, okay. Like, well, that's awesome. Eventually I was soon. thinking, yeah, okay. are you guys doing recording? <laughs> We're not like, we didn't write a, a, a modern opera about COVID or anything. No. <laughs> oh. I was just thinking you and I should try to, uh, I don't know what those songs were for uh, Rainbow Bright and the Assholes, but maybe we should write three songs and call it Rainbow Bright and the Assholes. <laughs> but um, so Jesse Kimball and I were a couple and Brian Kosnick, biz guitarist from the Epoxies, and his girlfriend Patty all went down to the 1999 Las Vegas Grind, and um, so that that's a story unto itself. And so obviously we all hung out together, and then we got back, and Patty was doing an installation at Paradox Cafe, and so we're all helping out with that. And then Brian and I had to go home for whatever reason and got less interested. And so it was just Jesse and Patty hanging out. And um, eventually the two couples broke up and the two of them got together. And uh, Patty moved out of town and Jesse soon followed. And so that was the end of the automatics. And so Brian and Jesse started writing songs together going let's start a new wave band it's been 20 years so it's time for new wave again 20 year cycles and i ran into jesse at a party and asked since since i had obviously tried singing before and singing in front of people was the most horrifying idea i could probably come up with at the time and I was um gonna say, how did you over how did you if you were even had trouble talking to people at shows how did you overcome that uh, I, I think Jesse, Jesse might be best at describing this. Uh, what, what would you, how would you describe my, my first show <laughs> and being in front of people? You had a Well, I actually have a better answer for the question. How did she overcome it? I made her go to karaoke. Oh, well, oh. I still wasn't over it, but yeah, that was, that was the first step doing <laughs> karaoke, which is harder than singing in a band. Oh, karaoke is way worse than singing okay. in a band. <laughs> But then um, I, Jesse, we'd talk about the earlier shows, and he said, you would run on pure horror and fear. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it just took a while of getting used to it. It's not like I got on stage and the first time was, oh, yeah, this is great. It was, oh, my God, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. And it was just fear pure adrenaline <laughs> which was great all <laughs> you can see that in, in like the early shows and the you know like the intensity a lot of that i think comes from just it wasn't just like cocky confidence it was you know it was some pretty real you know feelings of of terror going on up there oh god it was i couldn't let go of the mic the first time it's like this is a wall this is kind of, this is all i've got <laughs> I, of course, I have the videotape, but no VCR, so I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, hang on to that. We gotta put it oh, on YouTube. Oh, was still VHS back then? I, oh, I yeah. didn't realize that oh, yeah. long ago. I have my. Uh, I still have quite a few tapes kicking around. 
Actually, first show was um, 20 years ago. March is in two days, so 20 years ago, March. So I think it was oh, March wow. 10th. Far out. Where Wait, was it? Me what remembering was? that sort of stuff, totally not useful. <laughs> uh, okay, so we had the first show ever was booked by you and Gabe, right? At Satyricon. But that wasn't the first show we played. No. But okay. The first show we ever booked, uh, we were booked under the name The Adhesives because that was our name at the time. Yeah. Um, and that was opening for the Vibrators. New Wave Adhesives, Jesse, remember? Jesse oh. wrote down Adhesives, which was a New Wave band. Mm -hmm. And you guys misread it, and, and we were the New Wave Adhesives. In the That's right. <laughs> like on the marquee or whatever. It was the wrong name. Um, but it turns out there was another band called The Adhesives in like Longview. Um, oh, you know, which okay. is like 60 miles away. <laughs> so that's when we changed our name to the Epoxies. Um, we'd already gotten our like our stupid like rock and roll names at that point, and we had Roxy Epoxy, um, which was just a you know like a riff on adhesives. Uh, but then we like Epoxies sounds better anyway. I don't know if it sounds better. I like adhesives, but it looks better, it looks and it's got better. an X right in the middle, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's the story of the band name. Hi, hi puppy. But you guys, you guys booked us first. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, so the first show, actually, uh, my then roommate Heidi was, was leaving town uh, and we to go back to Spokane. And we had a basement show. And it was actually, like, literally right where I'm sitting. Um, and was it just us? I think it was just us. It was, like, at a party. We, we set up the like little practice space in the basement where we are right now um, as a as a stage. We like built a stage by putting some like office dividers on some paint cans and got all the lighting and like decorated the whole area. And uh, and we set up, we did, I don't know, maybe 10 songs. Um, Whatever we had. Yeah, for like 20 or 30 people, maybe more. It was a pretty big party. Uh, I remember it was packed. Like I could name check probably everyone who is there is somebody you know you know <laughs> um i'm gonna pick this dog up so he stops barking i'll be right back first show before that actually uh holly morgan booked it and that was at SecureCon as well opening for the a-frames and there was one other band but um of course i'll just remember that it, it was the a-frames and then it was the basement party and then our third show was already in seattle mm-hmm which was pretty interesting because Ken Dirtnout missed the bus coming down to Portland to see the briefs, ended up at Gibson's before the earthquake, and there was hardly anyone there. Um, yeah, there were like seven people at that show. And one Ken of was one of them. <laughs> and he offered us a seven-inch at the show. And so it was just these... It's such just luck, just dumb luck. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, some things fell into place for us super easily. Um, and I, I, I think that there was some dumb luck, but I also think that we were, like, kind of perfect for that moment, you sure. know? Like, if we started that band right now, it wouldn't make as much, you know, people wouldn't have the same impact because... 
I think that the band came in at a time when uh, the thing that was going on was real, like real tough guy, you know, sort of high energy, loud, gritty, you know, bands like uh, Zeke and um, I don't know, Demolition Doll Rods or something. Like, I don't know. Uh, oh, no, I'll like, tell you when yeah. you, we had, the music scene had really lost its way. Before you guys came out, some friends of mine called me and said, hey, we're playing at EJ's with this band, The Swinging Dicks. And uh, like, my heart sank. Like, <laughs> something, something needed to happen at that time. Yeah. And, you know, to be well, honest, like, I like a lot of that kind of band. You know, like, I don't mean to knock on Zeke or whatever. They're awesome. But it was just really samey. Really, really samey yeah. and really bro-y. And, um we we set out to do something that was like deliberately uncool you know something like synthesizers of all things were just untouchable you know (laughs) they were so cheap and just so they were effeminate they were lumped in with 80s new wave which was the duran duran flowing hair and the new romantics and thompson twins they were still lumped in with that which is the can you imagine any one of those bands being willing to do that to their hair or wear that pirate shirt? <laughs> so it was, all right, we're pulling that shit out. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. would have been rich in the 80s, it's possible I would have been a new romantic, but I had to be a punk because I didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> you can't buy a leather overcoat. Come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> there you I think, I think, uh, I think uh, Viz, Brian, deserves a lot of credit for um having some of that vision like because he was definitely the guy who's like yeah i'm gonna dress up you know like glam for the you know like i'm gonna put on the lipstick and you know the tight pants and the yeah or i'm gonna i'm gonna break open a glow stick and spread it all over my face well i'm gonna wear vhr tape and find out that it's really sharp I'm going to wear pink pants and a tight shirt, and I'm going to put tennis balls into my shirt and boobs. And and I'm going to make a what we now call the violent bubble machine. He's just great (laughs) with gadgets. So he took just a real fan and somehow contracted it. So kind of word, you know. Um, We were just trying to make a bubble machine, but we made more than a bubble machine. Yeah, (laughs) it was a bubble machine that, like, people smiling but screaming to shut please shut it off and, <laughs> and that was all that was all brian that was he came up with the it's 20 years of cyclical what's uncool what's about to come around again what's what is ridiculous and just these constant ideas of ridiculousness yeah and i think it became like really quickly just became the culture within the band so that everybody was bringing a contribution you know along those lines it's like some once we kind of got it we were like oh that's what we're doing you know <laughs> and then i think everybody was on board doing some other weird bit of shtick and adding to it oh well i was ready for it i i mean it was really a low time in portland music and portland always reinvests itself and something always happens but at that point it was you guys and it was so needed i agree you know like um, if I kind of roll back a little bit from before that time, like I, I, um, 
if you think back to like the days of like the the x-ray um and this sort of like really vibrant all ages scene that we had maybe five, six, seven, eight years before that, that was a really weird experimental far out time. Satyricon did a lot of that weird shit too, right? Like smegma and all, you know, like, um, and I think the really like focus on rock and roll developed a little bit after that and got a little too heavy handed. Um, yeah. and so in a way, I think we were just kind of like going back to something that Portland had been good at already, you know, of doing something just more in, like, I mean, I think we were, we were executing as musicians or whatever, but it was, um, the fact that it was offbeat was important. Um, and part of it, you know, like providing yeah. a, an experience more than just a soundtrack. That makes sense. I mean, I, I moved, I moved right at the very end of the X-ray, turning into the O'Hell. But I, going into the X-ray and knowing some of the shows that were recorded there and some of the things that went on, and just that, what insane thing can we come up with that with no rules and and where is the space to do it? And and it, maybe it's music and it's performance art. And there d does seem to be a lot of that in, in Portland's history. It makes sense. You know what? Like now that we're reflecting on that, I kind of gave this narrative of like, I, I went to college, then came back and got interested in rock and roll. But now that I think about it, when I would come from high school, I went, like I went to a, a, a school that was middle school and high school, same building. Um, and it, it's in, uh, it's MLC for those of you who know, Oh, it's in okay. North Portland or North Northwest Portland. I would take the bus from Northeast Portland where I was, and I'd have to make my connection downtown. And because of that, I would be off it. I'd be getting off the bus really close to the X-ray. And we, as like a high school student, you know, like a sophomore in high school or whatever, I would go in there and, you know, maybe like get a cup of coffee and just watch people setting up shows or just various weirdos in there practicing their thing. And I would go to shows there now and again. And like, I can't remember any of the acts that I saw, you know, except as these sort of like pastiches, because they weren't like bands in the sense that they were going to put out records and go on to do something and like push to get famous or anything like that. It was just be like some weirdos would come together, have their little, uh, you know, art moment. And then, and then spread out again, you know, like I saw Elvis there probably a dozen times. Um, and Elvis is a, a local homeless person that, uh, uh, that does Elvis impersonations kinda, um, but is really just sort of more a figure about town. Um, I, this is an audio interview I gather, but, uh, 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 Roxy and Tony are smiling big smiles at the memory right now. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I do remember that Green Day played at the OL before they were any kind of a thing. Um, yeah. they yeah. opened for my, my ex's band Gashdig. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you oh. remember Gashdig with Green Day, yeah. that doesn't make much sense. No. <laughs> but, but that's the great thing about the, the OL. Or no, pardon me. Again, this, this is me, the one not from Portland. Mm -hmm. The X-Ray. 
just tossing all that stuff together. And, and what I learned about Gashtig, that's another band that was just out there at the time. Um, maybe might may or may not be the, the your thing, but that was another really art artistic kind of performance artish band as well. And then with Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and they were awesome. And that like <laughs> I didn't, as a booker, I didn't have the creativity. Like one of the my main failings I think was missing out on a lot of that a lot of the art and culture and that kind of stuff. But that's what kept that's what kept the original Satyricon going in places like X-Ray. Mm-hmm. Like it would yeah, it when wouldn't it, have been the same without that. I think the the idea that there are places where you can drop in without knowing what's going to happen there and expect to like find community and be entertained um is that's pretty special. Not, you know, not a lot of venues pull that off. A lot of venues are just sort of like, there's the, there's the jaded staff and they don't really know or care what's going on that night. And, you know, you pay 12 bucks to get in. So you actually better care, you know, but a thing where you can just kind of wander in off the street and go like, what are these weirdos doing? You know? And that's, that's really like that kind of like, cultivation of art is is rare and special yes the environment of going in there and if you're 13 14 15 and you're looking around at that space even if nothing was going on i mean i don't know about you guys but hanging out just sitting on a curb was entertaining at the time so if you go into some place like that that's that's walking into wonderland that's what the fuck? This is awesome. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I have to actively wrestle this dog to keep him from barking. So. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. okay. <laughs> I have one sleeping on the bed and the other one's locked out. Yeah, I got Frank over there. He's not humping the blanket right now, but he probably will when he wakes up. Well, me and Gabe had tried. We uh, weren't creative enough and we had just pigeonholed you guys with every UK 70s, 80s British band that came through. But okay. you guys, like, did did you decide at some point we want to do other stuff or was that like a plan from the beginning? I think people didn't know where to put us overall. It was, who do we put the epoxies with? And it made sense to, to book us with those 70s bands. And it made sense to book us with as more bands started fitting into whatever the hell genre we were made sense for us to to fit with them or you could fit us with a goth band i don't think anyone ever figured out there was it seems to me that there were like a number of uh sort of related or kind of close enough kinds of scenes that were developing at the same time that uh i mean like those those 70s british bands were a great fit for us because in a lot of ways, we were referencing that stuff, right? Um, but if you look at like the stuff that was coming out of Seattle, obviously, like the briefs and the spits, um, yeah. and a, and a number of other bands, but those are the two like you know marquee ones. That that also is like a great fit for us. We're not the same band as they, but close enough, right? Like that's a good show. Um, yeah. And then like 
that is also around the time like Electro Clash was going on. And we were never quite like in that category. We weren't, you know, like dancey and sort of New York enough for that. Um, but definitely I, not New York cool. But I think that there were like <laughs> bands maybe that were influenced by that, that we would like end up on some of those bills. Uh, even though we weren't, yeah, we weren't kind of cool enough for that. And sometimes that was a little bit of a letdown when we, you know, played with the, uh, I don't know. I wish I could remember the name of the band we played with at that weird fashion show because I really, I really liked them, but definitely they, they were kind of New York cool and came with that attitude and us being in there, we might as well have just wandered in not having bathed in like three months (laughs) and wearing the garbage, which we literally were. And, And it was just like, Oh God, what are you? Who's letting you on the stage? <laughs> um, I guess I'm also thinking about bands like uh, like The Faint um, and um, the Start and like these other kind of bands that, that weren't exactly in... Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of it. Uh, <laughs> they weren't exactly in those, in those New York scenes, but they like had synthesizers and I think they were cl- probably like in their own way and their own scenes like responding to the same things that we were responding to in, you know. Yeah, the, the big ones were, who was the first one you mentioned? The Faint. The Faint, Interpol, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those mm-hmm. are the ones that were all coming out on, on national stage and were actually getting the press that if we got press, if we were going on tour or something had released that we'd get lumped in with, that definitely wasn't really appropriate. Um, yeah, they were a little more accessible in some way. They were like a little more polished. They were from New than, York. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the Faint's from Omaha. Come on, give them some credit. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give them some credit. Uh, but um, I, I remember something came out uh, on one of our tours and playing in New York saying that I was going to dance on Parano's grave and one of the guys <laughs> showed up to that show. <laughs> But there was just so many comparisons going on with this just pile of these are the bands that are going on right now that it just got kind of tiresome and it was too simplistic. Yeah, and there's about nine months there when like the record industry, you know, like the capital R record industry thought maybe we were worth a look, you know, because they saw stuff was happening and, you know, maybe we could be their version of whatever. Sire and Capital. We yeah. do have a picture of us hanging with Seymour Stein. Who like had no idea why the fuck we were hanging out together and was just asking his publicist, like, who are these people? <laughs> why am I here? <laughs> oh, it couldn't have been that bad, really? Oh, yeah, it was exactly that bad, yeah. He was like, uh, you know, why am I, what is this? <laughs> you know, as, as our publicist was trying to, like, get a photo or something like that, and he's just like, <laughs> but it's still cool. <laughs> and we, we got a couple of free meals out of Capitol Records, so that was nice too. Free food. Free food. We and got to the, the building. About how we would need to do things differently, and our response was, "We're not going to do anything differently." And then they dropped away. Yeah. <laughs> I do wonder, like, what do you want you to change because I listen to your songs, and to me, it's perfect. Even this, even looking back now. I mean, I don't, they never said like, here's a list of ways in which you must change in order to be successful. What I, the kind of, my recollection is 
that they they sort of said they wanted to develop us. Yeah, like ha- we'd like oh, okay. we'd like to de- you know work with you guys and develop you know your you know image and just kind of keep in touch and see if we can figure out a way to you know. And I think you know, probably the way I remember the story, I kind of was like, yeah, nah, we're not going to do that. Which in retrospect might have been stupid, and it might have been um, unfair to the others to not check in a little bit harder than I did because maybe that was an opportunity missed. I, I but said, I, we all know what those, especially in 2000, whatever, when that was, when they were at, a couple of years after Napster was shut down and, and, and downloading, downloading tunes was becoming a thing and the record industry didn't know what the hell was going on. Why would we want to align ourselves with this, what the fuck is going on industry and maybe that's what they wanted from us that maybe we had a little more of an alignment on what was going on but development to me was okay meredith you're gonna need to do the following to make yourself more appealing to men um maybe get some breast implants i don't know (laughs) development to me was as a, as a woman, I really honed in on that one. As uh, I, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera are currently figuring out how to use their sexuality in their early twenties, and I don't want you to pin that same sort of stuff on me right now. I think we came up in an era and like in a scene where selling out to the majors was just like a thing that you knew about and was cooked into your DNA as like the worst thing you could possibly do. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, which is probably overblown in retrospect, but if you grow up reading maximum rock and roll, yeah, it's, it'd be one thing to take money from a record label. It'd be another thing to like, let them tell you to do anything. You know, we're like, if you want to cut us a check, fine. But but otherwise, go fuck yourself was kind of where we were coming from. Cut us a check and then pay them back. Cut us a check and then get out of our way. And they were like, yeah, we'll find somebody who's easier to work with. (laughs) Well, because you guys were doing fine on independent labels anyway. I mean, doing fine. We were, we had a year or two there when we were kind of able to pay our rent with it uh, by constantly touring. Um, And we, and Ken was generous enough to give us a little bit of money to make a record. Fat Records was generous enough to give us a little more money to make a record. Um, and and we're insane with the promotion. Yeah, I mean, the in-house promotion there was amazing. Yeah, Fat lost and a bundle on us. Ken did a great job too. <laughs> with what they had, but, but Fat, I mean, especially at the time, with what they had set up, knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, we were very lucky, and I think, like, from an artistic perspective, we definitely had the opportunity to, like, do our thing, and um, for which I'm very grateful to everyone who helped us out along the way. From a, like, life perspective, we very much had the opportunity to have a lot of great experiences, you know, toured Europe, we toured uh, Japan, we toured the U.S. a whole bunch, uh, we just got to do a lot of really cool shit that is going to, you know, sort of be life defining for a long time. Um, 
So definitely a success, but never like a financial success, you know? No, it was straight, straight by. And if, if, if we wanted to be on the road all the time, then that would have been fine, but it's unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah, Unless you're, yeah. Unless you're making like guts and roses money. Yeah. Well, or unless you are just in that life so hard that, you know, like, I mean, black flag style, we all live in one house in, in, you know, the center of the country and we tour 10 months a year and that's who we are, you know, but like, how long can you do that? Yeah. Well, we tried three months and we lost our, like, physically we ran, we, we couldn't do any more. Jesse and I both lost our voices before finishing that tour. So we missed maybe the last four or five dates of that one. That was the, 50 state three month fat rec tour. <laughs> oh, that sounds exhausting. Yeah, they the, the whole concept is we're gonna play all 50 states. And uh so the epoxies were like the only band to be like, you know what? I think we're gonna skip Alaska and Hawaii. Cause those <laughs> are like that's a pretty long trip to just play Juno or whatever. <laughs> you know? So we we did like the whole lower 48, basically. Then we, I think the last show was in yeah. Idaho, in like Boise, probably. Then we were just like, great. We'll see you in San Francisco. We drove home. It, no, no. It worked out perfectly. We flew out to here, Providence. Uh-huh. Stayed with Jamie and whatever his girlfriend's name was at the time. Start, uh, started in Connecticut and in Providence. Drove across the top of the country. Our last show before departing, where we would have departed for Juno was Portland. Oh, so really? we're like, bye bye. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to go to my bed. And having a week and a half off, we'll meet you in San Francisco and then swoop south uh, in New Orleans right after Katrina. Oh, so right. the place we played had like a water line above our heads and then wandered up. North, we were supposed to go into Canada, but um, again, conveniently, the last show was in Boston, the Boston area. Jesse and I probably could get half the lyrics out with the laryngitis we had. My parents are from Massachusetts, so we just moved over to my parents' house and cut it off from there and then flew home. Yeah. (laughs) That was was fun. There's a lot of stories there. That was a that was a long three months of, of good and less good. Yeah, it was a grind that one. <laughs> three months, that is too much. It was and it was just such a weird one because it was a package tour with like three other fat rec bands, of which we vibed with one and the other two we didn't really vibe with. So, so we're opening for Against Me. We yeah. Released at the time what was their biggest release. And um, as was the case with many of the times we opened for larger bands, many of their fans did not like us. There was a woman who <laughs> wanted to fight me in Buffalo. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, someone uh, in Philly really hated us. There was a lot of flipping off there, and that's where someone spit in our merch. Um <laughs> And 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 that was the, that was the day we found out a friend had passed away too. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it, 
It, it had its fun moments. I mean, we had opened for the Aquabats earlier in the year, and, and of course the same thing happened. It's, it's the Aquabats, and we were the, the evil band. They had a song called Pool Party, and Brian, a.k.a. Viz, wandered out, I think, in Philly again. Um, people would wander out. It, it's a kid's band with, like, rubber balls and stuff. Brian comes out in a pair of tidy whities with baloney attached to them, and he's like... <laughs> And nothing else, and he's picking pieces of bologna off and eating them. It's totally hysterical to us. Jesse and I are in the back watching. We we would stand with CDs and just sell them out front, and we're just watching this with parents and their kids. And I think we got a lot of like really angry hate mail from parents after that. But but. When the Aquabats fans would be really rude, the Aquabats would come out and say, that's not cool. Yeah, those guys were really nice. I, I think, think in a lot of ways, we, favorite support we had uh, had the quality of being a little bit of a band's band sometimes where, you know, like Fat Mike loved us, right? So he'd be like, come tour with no effects. And that, you know, if you want to play in front of 4,000 people, that's great. But if like... 3,900 of those people hate your fucking guts, which is again, like that's a great, you know, if you make a hundred fans in one night, that's awesome. Like we really made a huge impact on that tour. And I've met people who are like, I was at that no effects show. You guys were amazing. But the way I remember it is just like, (laughs) you know, 4,000 people booing their heads off and flipping us off, you know? Um, We're not even the first show in Europe in Cologne was 4,000 and probably a hundred of them turned their backs and flipped us off from behind. (laughs) (laughs) But boy, that whole experience was fantastic just for building a thicker skin. There was a great email that we got in England from someone who hated us so much that they wanted to let us know that I want to kill you all and dump you into a grave and piss on you while your morning parents watch. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to take time out of my day to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> because the, that was the days where you just left your contact information up on your crappy little website. So, you know, we, we got to hear. We got to hear how people felt, really felt. God, and see, I romanticize everything. So I thought you guys were just having like I thought it was a party and you were like touring Europe and everybody loved you. I mean, it was definitely a party. <laughs> we were definitely touring Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but but that said, um the first half of that tour was with no effects. Um and some of those shows were incredible. We went to Ireland and they loved us. I mean, who knows? You travel you travel over a little body of water and then, then it's totally different. And and in terms of party, yeah, I was giving fat Mike haircuts in the parking lot, and it's just one of those surreal moments where I'm like, I'm on tour with no effects, I'm giving fat Mike a haircut. And to me, that's okay, that's fine. But some kid would be like, Oh my god, I'm giving fat Mike a haircut in the parking lot. But that part of the tour ended and we went on independently and the next show was in Valence, France with Cecilia's old band Operation S uh, Ryan's wife Cecilia now and that place was absolutely packed we had never 
obviously never been to France before. We had gone from, I think we had two shows in Germany and then moved over to France. Everyone's singing all the words and then the fans loving it. And then fans cleared out. It was an all night dance party. Yvonne set up a turntable and we were up until 6 a.m. listening to this just amazing, obscure music. I just remember lying on a table, drinking French boxed wine, going, this is amazing, getting two hours of sleep and then waking up and ending up in the promoter's backyard. Literally, there was a guy next door who was in his Speedos and a beret climbing up in a cherry tree cutting down cherry branches while we're drinking baguette and whatever that weird wine is. That uh, pastis. Pastis. <laughs> and it was, that was incredible. Yeah. That was one of my best days. Um, yeah. Cause, because it had been walking around insurance and balance and everyone pointing and laughing because that is an American thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Brian's white thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so much pointing and not whispering, just blatantly talking about Brian's skinny little legs and French. <laughs> so what's this about uh, the Portland scene? of the? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's, um, let's reroute. <laughs> you talk about the oily blood men for a while or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, we time, that time oh. was incredible. We started talking about it. Uh, yeah, we were. Who else was around then? It was like with the oily blood men and oh uh, god, cows, magma. Yeah, I'm a I'm a real bad guy with names. So forgive me if I if I overlook a lot of them, which I certainly I, did. You say hell cows because that yeah. was on my mind. Um, yeah, Never actually, the, my band Stomp Chicken, the the singer, went on to be in the Hell Cows for a while. Um, Larry. On to be how how or, long did they stay a band? Because I was talking about like mid eighties. Yeah, I think they were around. I mean, you gotta appreciate that. Like, Stomp Chicken was mid eighties. I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, I thought I was much older than you. Maybe I'm not. I'm 48. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm 51. Yeah. So not that much. Not that much. Um, and then at that time, oh, okay. that young, so that, we are that, talking about the same time. That's yeah. Maturity. Yeah, that's true. I remember like um uh Justin, I'm gonna space his last name. Uh he's a recording engineer now. He was he went to MLC, but he was like two years above me. He was in uh in uh Wehrmacht. Um do you remember that like metal band? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh I can't remember his last name right now. Anyway, he was like a cool guy, you know, because he was like yeah. a senior. And I was a, you know, I was a sophomore, which was a, un, you know, an uncrossable gap of years at that point. Um, and like Mike Thrasher, Mike was... Thrasher was like a year older than me, you know. Yeah. And he went to MLC. Oh, okay. Now I know the era. Yeah. It's yeah, possible yeah. that Wehrmacht, The Accused, and Poison Idea I've seen more than any band. In my oh, yeah. Life. We haven't even talked about Poison Idea. Holy moly. Yeah, obviously, that's a that's a huge Portland name check and an important reference. Also, I mean, arguably, the poster child for that sort of tough guy rock and roll we were talking about. Um, but they certainly came by it honestly. You know, like they 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 were doing it for so long and so well early on. Um, 
when oh, I see, I look at I look at them so much different than that. Yeah, it's. I mean, the music is definitely powerful, but it. I don't. It seems smarter, more nihilistic. It seems yeah, I, tripper. I yeah, I guess I. I don't mean to belittle them. I guess maybe I'm just talking about a certain flavor of hardcore that is appealing to a certain flavor of knucklehead. You know well, what I mean? It, it makes sense to to have yeah. something as prevalent and and just a solid presence as them to to influence people and them not quite get the nuances that are there and pull that over and to create something that's a little that's a little to a lot more surface level. Yeah, it's um you know, it's not it's not a band's fault when some of their fans are scumbags, right? You know, like it's inevitable yeah. if they get any kind of fan base at all that uh some of them are No, I missed unlikable. out on I missed out on Turbo Negro for years just because I hated the people that liked yeah, and how could you not? But they're great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, when I finally when I finally listened to it, I loved it. Yeah, there's so many bands whose names have been enough to keep me from like giving them a fair shake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, Poison Idea—that's a really important one if we're talking about Portland. Um, when right after like my first band broke up, when I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to do music now. Uh, and I put an ad in like the the nickel ads or whatever, looking for like a punk punk rockers to play music with. Um, one of the people first people who answered was Charlie from Poison Idea. Oh yeah, like he came over and we like played music for a little while in my mom's basement, and uh, it didn't really work out. But then we like went and had some beers at like a gay bar nearby, and <laughs> I always thought he was a sweet guy. <laughs> based on that interaction. Cause I wasn't at that level, you know, like, but he was real oh, generous yeah, about yeah. it. Just cause I'm being nostalgic. What bar was it? God, what was it called? It was near Lloyd center on, on Burnside. No, uh, Broadway. Maybe the Lincoln. I don't know. I I went there maybe half a dozen times. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't like was, it wasn't like well, a known place that people hung out. In my experience. And was that when you were when you were trying to get together a new band? Is that when you convinced uh, me and Jesse to move out there? Was that that time period between college and? Um... No, no. It would have been. This would have been probably before I went to college. Okay. No, this was between high school and college. I took a took a took a year off gap year. Okay. Um, well, if we're if we're talking about old bars and the importance of the Portland scene, let let us not overlook EJ's and uh, yeah. its sort of foundation. Like EJ's kind of had some of that quality of a drop in place that we were talking mm -hmm. about with respect to the you know to like the X ray or whatever. That was a little bit the X ray for grown ups. You know, because it was it was a bar. It wasn't all ages. Um, but by that time, I had aged into being able to go there. And it seems like nobody ever really paid to get in. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, or you'd like maybe cough up five bucks if you, you know, 
if you had it. <laughs> yeah, and if you did that, then you weren't paying for the beers after you paid to get it. Yeah, that's the other thing is like there's a lot of, you know, poor Etta was just being, uh, I mean, I think she probably enjoyed the whole experience of being at the at the heart of the whole thing. But um, there was definitely a lot of free booze flowing at that place. Um, and while it was a little more formulated in terms of the shows and whatnot, it was also pretty kooky. Um, a lot of random bills. A lot of, I was thinking just the other day, I was thinking about the Duke of Uke. Does anybody remember him? <laughs> I yeah. remember his name. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who, for the listeners, was a guy who'd do punk rock covers on a ukulele. Um, <laughs> and he would do them I, a lot of times in between bands as the sets were changing, which is a really great idea. Uh, and and that kind of thing went on a lot. There was it was also just a place where monkey business was very much encouraged. So, for example, uh, <laughs> this might not have been that encouraged, but the automatics for what we decided was our 99th show, or maybe our hundredth <laughs> show. I don't remember. We we brought a hundred bananas and threw them oh into the audience. Oh my god! I forgot about that. <laughs> Which just turned into like a massive banana fight all over the the club. <laughs> There's a, a banana in the rafters for like months. Oh yeah. So then the story I heard later was that <laughs> uh, like six months later, Guitar Wolf came and was like, you know, doing his thing and rocking out. And part of that is like, there, there's this like superstructure that kind of hung over the stage of like these big wooden beams. And he was like hanging yeah. off of those, like, like a monkey swinging around. <laughs> and at one point he just got this like look of horror on his face and he like pulled his hand off. And it was like covered with the like remains of a rotten banana from from our banana party. Where oh, we, he's we arguably man. crossed the line so, a little bit. So much grosser. I mean, of course. <laughs> but I guess in that moment it was still a little appalling. Well, I'm now I'm thinking of satiricon stories, like whatever band that was where the guy had the flu and he Oh, was, I was at that show. Yeah, I was with you. That's right. I can't remember what band it was, and he was like throwing up in glasses and then throwing up on stage. I think for some reason, I feel like the minds had to play right after him. I right. He had, he had a pitcher. Show. He had an empty pitcher that he was vomiting into like mid song over and over. I can't remember for the life of me, but it was, it wasn't this guy's drunk. It's this guy ha is so sick with the flu that it's just flying out of him. He was probably shitting himself too, for all we know. But he was just going for it. He performed. He was good. And then he'd grow up, and then he'd do it some more. They were on tours, and then, I recall. Uh, then the minds had to go set up. <laughs> but it, we figured it was ground into the carpet by the time we had to get up there. Oh my God. <laughs> and then they did that feather thing that failed, and you and Gabe, the looks on your faces at the end of the night. You're just like, oh my god, I hate you, we hate you, we hate you. But then we stayed to clean up. <laughs> and you didn't hate us anymore, but... Oh, oh man. There I can't remember that, but maybe... I can't remember that, but maybe so, that's why I love you guys so much. The idea was that uh, rather than use no our bubble one. machine, there was going to be like, we had a feather pillow and a fan going. It was just going to project feathers all over the place, which it did, and it was like super cool. No, it didn't. It totally failed. Like we opened it up and it just like 
fell on the stage. But then you like picked up the and pillow then and kick like, them and you throw them. That's yeah, yeah. Fun. And then the That's fan took over. Up. But the the initial idea was complete failure. It didn't go the way we envisioned it, but it ended up looking really cool. And it also ended up getting feathers all over Satyricon. And Gabe, who were just like, fuck all of you. (laughs) Fuck you. To to quote Falcon, but in a different context, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) Um, So I guess the running theme is bands that I'm in apparently make a mess now and again. (laughs) Speaking of bands you were in and a mess, is that... I used to see you guys play at the Chinese place on Burnside mm-hmm. and oh, I love that place. What were the names of the shots? What was it called? And is it still there? The Chinese place on 48th. Oh, no, 48th. 28. 28. Are you talking about downtown? Oh, I'm thinking of this is the Chinese Lotus or what? Burnside. 28th and Burnside. No, uh, it was after. Yeah, after oh, 48th and Burnside? 28th. 28th and Burnside. I'm driving in my mind. There was the Jasmine Tree. There was the Chinese Tea House with the shots that I wish I could remember the names of the the mayo and like (laughs) the mayo slide (laughs) and the Jack and Cheddar. Uh, There's egg. Yeah. That's that's another one of those Portland memories where you don't realize how special places until years later both jasmine tree and and chinese tea house because now it's it's doug fur but you're like well before it was doug fur it was this place where there were just awesome shows and you should have seen the shot menu (laughs) went to the classiest joint in town the 28th and burnt of course, now I'm like, I, can I even... So 28th and Burnside, how, how about this? Is Are you sure it's Chinese? Because Katie O'Brien's is on 28th and Burnside. No, that's, that's right? on Sandy. That's on Sandy. Sandy. They used to do all-age like all ages shows on the weekends, some like Saturdays and Sundays. I saw you guys play there a few times, Automatics. The, Next uh, to the movie theater. Oh, at the um, oh! Chopsticks. Yes. Did we ever play there? Yeah, I, don't I saw remember that. And that was my favorite karaoke place. That place is gone. Is that, is that a condo now? It was like yeah. kind of a little bit early, yeah. like six o'clock happy hour shows for all ages. I believe that. I definitely I believe was, that. I vaguely remember shows, <laughs> like barely remember shows happening. <laughs> I don't remember any specifics, but I have a feeling you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many shows I've played. <laughs> you don't remember. I mean, how could I possibly know? If I could like kind of come up with an average number of shows per year for, you know, since I started doing shows. You're probably in the same boat, Tony. Just like, yeah. how am I going to even try to remember all those shows with all those bands? I mean, I don't think I've probably played a thousand shows. <laughs> but, but, that's like almost a thousand there no no that's, that's almost a hundred there but okay. uh i do have a list of almost all the epoxy shows it's missing maybe like five of them just so you know she's real good at dates and stuff Oops. like that <laughs> what's I am your not. favorite band you played with what favorite to have gotten to play with oh good question avengers maybe Avengers, oh, okay. we got to tour with in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
touring Und- with the damned was pretty awesome. Undertones oh. too was really that was great. awesome. They like I mean, Feargle was not in the band, any right. you know, but the guy they got is great. Sounds exactly like him. Sounds exactly like and then like the thing about the undertones that I really remember from that tour is like every song they would start, I'd be like, oh my God, this is my favorite song. And then they'd do another one. I'd be like, oh my God, this is my favorite song. You know, they have like probably 40 songs that I think are my favorite song of all time. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. Because the first record and probably the first, even the first four singles after are all uh-huh. Yeah, I like all that like uh, Tearproof tear and like they're kind of like a little bit sadder later stuff too, you know. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. Kind of the hangover from all the fun they have. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, Quite honestly, before we were getting booked on those sort of shows with these bigger bands that we grew up with, which was surreal to me then and still is now, um, we started playing shows in March 2001, and things just started bubbling throughout the Northwest. And those bills and, and playing constantly, we haven't really talked about just like what build up, built up around all of us and doing whatever and just being able to go out and you'd see so-and-so from whatever bands. And, and it, it's so weird. I started thinking about, I can't even remember how many bands there were and I'm forgetting some of their names. I was thinking of Electric Eye Mm-hmm. And just these bills all over the place, the ones that I can automatically come up with are the minds I've mentioned a few times, of course, the Exploding Hearts, yeah. uh, the, the punk group. Um, and, and we would play, end up playing with the briefs all the stinking time, whether here or there. And then we did our third U.S. tour and the last part of it was with them. And then we did our our second European tour and part of that ended up being with them and even overlapped with them playing fest in Florida. They were at a different club that was during that three monther. And so we overlapped with them and they were on the, on the road of the band called clip 45. And one of them, the briefs and clip 45. I didn't know they toured together. They yeah. did. And one of those guys, Somehow, uh, they're my friends. Days, I hope they didn't do something shitty to you. That one of those guys uh, <laughs> with the the briefs vehicle, like like mayo, condiments, eggs, bagels, and convinced Stevie Kicks that we had done that to the briefs van, and so Stevie and the guy in Clip Forty Five messed with our van. And it was covered with condiments and, and whatever else. There was a bagel smack in the middle of the windshield that kicks took off and ate for breakfast. But we both drove away with like covered in sardines and it thinking the other band had done. Oh. <laughs> but it was one guy from Clint 45 who started the whole thing. So we had a lot, <laughs> a lot of interactions with the briefs outside the Northwest. But when we were all starting out, there was the Dirt Nap Showcase, and in, in this, this is me and how my, my brain goes. I believe that was in February or March 2002. That was the, the Spitz, the Briefs, and Us, and that was insane, and it was packed, and the Spitz lit up fireworks. And it was just always 
weird, neat stuff going on. And we all come across each other constantly up here, down there. You go up to Vancouver and there was the new town animals and it just the energy and the amount of stuff going on and people just busting out of what had been so dry for so long. And it was such a variety of music. And, and there, I think, with us and those other bands and all playing together, no matter how different we sounded, it was it was working. And 2001, 2002, 2003, I hold on to that. We started touring extensively in 2002. But that little chunk of time, that was freaking magic in my mind. One of the things that I... You can probably fill in some of these details for me, Meredith, but one of the things that kind of comes to my mind as we think about like the the feeling and the time and the sort of like sense of home and like being located in, in a town and being a part of a scene in a place is we played a show at Dante's um, and it was like, I think it was in support of somebody. And I remember f- that we did the show. We got paid pretty well. And it was like a $20 ticket for some like bigger touring act. Um, and this was, you know, I think I might have said this. This was like kind of at near the height of our popularity, probably in town. And we came off it feeling like that didn't feel right. Like, because we hadn't played town for like six months or something. Portland had been really good to us. People really liked us. And then it was like, Here's your first chance to see the epoxies, twenty dollars to you know, and we were like, yeah. ah, that felt kind of gross. Let's call Satyricon and do a free show, um, which we right. did. Like, like I don't know, maybe like three weeks later, because there's a certain like window you want to observe to not step on any promoter's toes. Um, and I remember that free show really well because it was a, it was packed. Um, October two thousand two. Yeah. Do you remember who the band was that we played with at Dante's? I don't remember who the band at Dante's was. I, I could probably find that list. It's on a not necessary. Um, but um, but yeah. So we put together that free show, and it was the Exploding Hearts and the Punk Group or the Minds, maybe maybe all four. I don't mm-hmm. know. And it was stinking packed, and it was just. It, the fact that we get to be on stage, great, but it was just like, this is Portland. Yeah, that was this certainly Portland. our Portland in that moment. Yeah. And I'm That's sure the bar did just fine with no, with no cover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But those are some, that's some of the great, that's just some of the great things about Portland. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know what the feeling was at that show. Yeah, it's and so even more more important than the bands. It's just like those kind of nights are magic. Yeah, and and it, I mean, it is the case that like the bands are an excuse, you know. Like people love the music and they want to be there, but the the real the thing that you get out of there more than anything else is just seeing all of your friends and having a thing to do together and a thing to sort of like be side by side appreciating or, you know, even shitting on, you know, like, uh, but like, (laughs) well, it is Portland. So people do have to do that. Well, I mean, that's true everywhere. Just like, 
I'm sure like if I, if I, you know, I did go to that show at that show, for example, I'm sure there were 150 people that I like knew by name and, you know, like have a fond feeling towards and, you know, maybe shared a comment or, you know, a smile or I bought him a beer or whatever. Like that kind of sense of community is so precious and it is so much more important of a thing than going to see some band you think is awesome at, you know, a stadium and having no interaction with the rest of the crowd. Yeah. That's the difference between a scene and a show. Mm-hmm. You know, or a concert. Well, and also some clubs, some clubs facilitate that energy too, much totally. better than others. Yeah, I mean, there's there's places where that just does not thrive at all. Yeah, um, and I'm and scared that, that after COVID, those are going to be the only ones that survive. Yeah, I again, man, I believe, I believe that you know, I just heard like the pits closed down the other, you know, like a few months ago. What? And, oh, yeah. wait, is that the, is that the club with the, the upstairs window? Yeah. That's my pits mug that I got last time I was there. Oh, uh, that sucks, that place. I know it's a, it's a legend. And, but you know, look, I mean, CBGB's closed. Like this big and you sell merch next to the toilet, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like those, oh. it super sucks, but there'll be another one, you know, yeah. like there'll be another thing like that. And that's just, I think that's human nature to make those kinds of things. And I, I sort of mourn the passing of all those great places that have gone before Satyricon, of course, included. Uh, but also like, I think nostalgia can be a little toxic and, and, um, reset buttons or yeah. Right. Like if we just sit around talking about how great things were in 2002, like that cuts us off from everything going forward, you know, as great yeah. as they were like for mm-hmm. us. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again, you know, not in the same way. It certainly can happen for somebody else of that age and in that place in life. And, uh, you know, we can also do something awesome. Um, That's what I like about Providence. I know perfectly well that with any other place that of course with inflation that rents have gone up, but Providence really does in a lot of ways remind me of those times in Portland. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who knows? In a year, it could be as as COVID is dying out, it could be completely different. But it, it's got a vibe here, and it's got a really neat weirdo vibe. And especially uh, Jenny and Jamie, as, as I mentioned earlier, from the sleazy and midnight creeps, they own a bar, and anyone will go there. There's just all walks of life, all different kinds of people. They were doing parking lot shows and, and they put together such a bizarre mix of bands. And so I'm curious to see what will happen here. And of course, hope very much so that when Portland opens back up and there's those storefronts that whoever the owner is, if they bought the building during when things were primo real estate or they just want to fill a space that things start bubbling again yeah i mean look i mean even if it costs a thousand dollars to live in an apartment like you can still do a generator show you know Mm -hmm. like it's it's always possible as long as people want to make music together they're going to figure out a way i remember actually i don't know if this is epoxies or not might have been automatics uh 
they, they were doing a bunch of generator shows out in the desert outside of Vegas. Yes, you know, that's cool. Yeah, right. And I mean, like, obviously, not everybody has a desert, but that's not that <laughs> pricey of a of a thing to get your hands on, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's I I don't know. It's always going to be something that people can pull off if they just like care to enough. And I think people are always going to want to. <laughs> yeah, no, I love you. Fucking right on. I go half and half and half, half in depressing nostalgia, and then totally me too. I mean, like I, I get cynical, of course, but I. So partly, I'm reminding myself, you know. Yeah. Like, maybe I got too much shit on my plate now, and maybe I don't have as much energy as I used to. So, the the extent to which I'm gonna be the fucking main motor of something, I don't know. But the kids are gonna come through. Yeah, kind of like how we were talking about before, like all the older punks hated me when I got into stuff. And so exactly. I'm going to hate, I'm trying my best not to hate what's coming after me. Totally. And like, can you imagine, I'm sure that by like 1982, there were a ton of people being like, yeah, it's over, you know, yeah. like shit used to be cool, but now it just sucks. Um, have you seen that Gilman documentary? The Gilman no. Street documentary? No, I, I, I it's great and I highly recommend it. And um I'm writing it down now. Oh shit. Hey, um, I gotta go talk to my wife. She's got a split and she needs this dog. Uh, <laughs> we talked so long. Jesse and I had to walk our dog. In the end, he couldn't make it back. But Roxy and I hadn't seen each other in so long, we just kept talking. So be ready for round two. Should come out in a couple weeks. I'll leave you with need more time. Oh,